Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis chapter 14. Now, the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram at the valley of Sheba. This grateful king And all of a sudden, on the heels of a victory, on the heels of a a beautiful, uh, wonderful, courageous act, the king of Sodom all of a sudden approaches Abram. In Melchizedek, verse 18, king of Salem, so you have Sodom and Salem represented, brought out bread and wine. Now, he was a priest of God most high in Hebrew, that's El Elyon. So here's Abram. Returning from this great victory, trust God, saves his nephew, all these people. And all of a sudden, the king of Sodom comes up. Now, the king of Sodom, we've already learned from Genesis 13 that Sodom's already this terribly wicked place. I'm sure the king is wicked as well. He rules over the place after all. And he's going to come and he's going to proposition Abram. What he's basically going to say to Abram is, there's a brochure here for Sodom. It's a wonderful place. It's very, very lush and and he's going to show him the travel brochure. How many of you, you know, you come off a, a great spiritual victory. You've trusted God. You've walked in the promises. You've been courageous. And all of a sudden, you get a strange visit from the king of Sodom. Boy, have I got a deal for you. And you're like, boy, I've never met you before. Oh, I know you. You see, here's what I'd like to offer you right now. And on the heels of spiritual victories and mountaintop experiences, You and I have to be prepared for a knock at the door from the king of Sodom. Sodom represents the world and all that's wicked, so the king of Sodom could represent Satan. And Satan often comes up, and he offers things to us, you know, on the heels of great spiritual victories. When we're feeling pretty good about ourselves, you know, I'm sure Abram was rejoicing in God, but there would be a temptation to say, boy, weren't we brave. Wasn't that a cool plan we drew on the napkin? You go there, and you go over there. We'll do it at night. Oh, it's awesome. Abram, oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. You're old, man, but Bo, you were impressive. I saw you leap over a couple things and hit that dude, and whoa, yeah. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, <laughs> little puffed up, king of Sodom walks up. Oh, Abram, man, you the man, Abram the man. We got a special spot for you. You see, this is how it works. And all of a sudden, this mysterious, shadowy figure, first mentioned here in the Bible, his name is Melchizedek. He's the king of Salem, the king of Sodom. We know what Sodom is. The king of Salem, Salem is the ending of Jerusalem. And so there, I think all biblical scholars that I've read would agree that Melchizedek is the king of Jerusalem. And if you take Jerusalem and put it together, it's the city of peace or the city of God. Remember, we're, all, we're down in the south now, and this is kind of the region that we're dealing with, and the king of Sodom comes, and all of a sudden this king of Salem comes, and his name means king of peace, or literally, Hebrews 7 calls him the king of righteousness. And he begins to almost intercede for Abram. It's like he recognizes the moment. And Melchizedek walks up, and it seems like the priest of, or excuse me, the king of Sodom tables his his pitch 
uh, as the Melchizedek king of Salem approaches. Notice Melchizedek king of Salem, what does he have? He brought out bread and wine. Now he was not only a king, he was a priest of God most high. And what he offers to Abram is very intriguing. He offers bread and wine at a crucial moment in Abram's life. Here comes this Melchizedek. And if you've studied this uh, topic at all, you know that there's many opinions on who Melchizedek is. Mysterious Melchizedek. How do you even say it? Melchizedek who? Melchizedek. And who is he? Well, some people say he's an angel because of the description in Hebrews 7. And some people say he's a theophany or a Christophany, an appearance of God in the Old Testament. And some people say, um, you know, maybe he's Shem, and, and maybe Shem's still around, but if he's Shem, why would he have no genealogy? Because Shem was the son of Noah. That doesn't make sense. And other people say, no, he is a human, but, but his genealogy is not put in the Bible. And this is kind of a rabbinic way of saying it's not recorded in the Bible. And so he, he's a type or a foreshadowing of Christ, and he's got the bread and wine, and he's ready to intercede for Abram. And it's this beautiful picture of our intercessor and our great high priest, who when the king of Sodom comes at us, he's ready to lend help in our time of need. Are you with me? This is mysterious Melchizedek, king of Salem. The writer of Hebrews says, concerning Melchizedek, we have much to say, Hebrews 5.11. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The writer of Hebrews, he basically rebukes the people of the Hebrew church in the first century, full of Jewish people, for not knowing about Melchizedek. He said, I'd like to tell you about the deeper picture here, about how it points to Christ, but you guys are not even ready. Solid food is for the mature. There's a time to drink milk, and that's for baby Christians, but there's a time that you move on from the baby bottle. You know what I'm saying? There's a time to retire the bottle and have some steak. Everybody with me? Okay, it's an appropriate thing when a one or two-year-old is going on a bottle. And they're goo goo gaga, I gotta have my baba, and all that. We understand that. But there was a time, I've told this story before, where the bottle has to be retired and you have to tell your child, the baba is going bye-bye. And they say, what? Baba. Yeah, baba is bye-bye. <laughs> time to move on to solid food, kid. Here's a steak. There are one, you know. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Don't do that. But we're talking about spiritual things here. And it's time for solid food. Solid food is for the mature. Sometimes, you know, I, I talk to people and they've been on a hunt for a church and they go from church to church and they say, uh, yeah, we've done the circuit and, and most places we've gone to, you don't even have to bring a Bible because they don't say open your Bible to something. It's just kind of, we make it easy for you. We're not going to do that. Solid foods for the mature. You want to grow? Then you need to get into God's word. And so Melchizedek blessed him, Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram of God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. 
And you're like, well, where'd this guy come from? I thought Abram was the only believer in the one true God around. Who's this guy in Canaan who's a priest king and he knows the same God that Abram knows. This is pretty cool. Isn't it neat when you discover a brother or sister in Christ at your company? You're like, you're, you're, yeah, you, you, yeah. Why didn't I know? We've been working together for 20 years. <laughs> That's always an issue. But anyway, and so Melchizedek is a worshiper. He blesses Abram. He says, blessed be Abram of God most high. He knows God's the one who made heaven and earth and bread and wine foreshadowed the greater priest king, the one who will rule and reign from Jerusalem, Jesus Christ. In fact, Psalm 110, written a thousand years later by David said, this is verses four and five, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at my right hand, at thy right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. Melchizedek, I believe, is a man, a priest king, who foreshadows Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. He's a picture or a type. And Jesus Christ doesn't come from the Aaronic line. He doesn't come from the Levitical line. And a Jewish person might say, how can you call Jesus a high priest? He's not from the Aaronic line. He's not from Levi. Oh, but he's from a higher order. He's from the order of Melchizedek. And his priesthood is unalterable, he doesn't exchange it or pass it on to anybody, and it's eternal. In fact, Hebrews 7.25, write it down for your notes, which is kind of the conclusion of the Melchizedek treatment, says he ever lives to intercede for you. He has a perpetual priesthood, but he's also a king. And this is unique because in Israel, you couldn't be a king and a priest. Uzziah tried that in 2 Chronicles, I think it's chapter 26. He tried to go into the temple and burn incense, and God struck him with leprosy. He lived the rest of his days as a leper. You don't do that. The two offices were distinct, but in Jesus, he is king of kings and Lord of lords, and he's also our great high priest who can empathize with our weaknesses. Hebrews 4, verse 15, he can sympathize. Hebrews 2, 18 talks about he gives help to the sons of Abram. Go back and read Hebrews 2, 16 through 18, and Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. And this is the picture. He blessed Abram. And you can see in the picture that we have up there kind of what might capture this. Here's... Here's Melchizedek, Abram bows. And when you bow for someone to bless you in the culture, it would be someone greater than you blessing the lesser. Patriarchs would bless their children and grandchildren on their deathbed. And it, it often had to do with a bow and you would bow and the patriarch or the one who was giving the blessing would cover you with their hands, sometimes put their hands on you or on your head and they would speak a blessing into your life. And all of a sudden, Abram, returning back from victory with the king of Sodom, chomping at his heels, has this, this intermediary, this mediator shows up with bread and wine and gives him a blessing. It's almost as if the, the biblical picture is that, that Melchizedek inter, intercepted Satan or the king of Sodom and strengthened Abram to overcome a temptation. And here's how this all fits together with Hebrews. The Bible says, when we're tempted... And we're going to be. We have a great high priest who understands, been through it all, yet without sin, empathizes, sympathizes, and gives grace to us and dispenses grace from a throne of grace that we might find help and receive mercy in our time of need. 
And the Hebrew church, receiving the letter of Hebrews, was being beat up, persecuted, under duress, wondering if they should go back to the temple and the Old Testament sacrifices. Can I make it? Should I give up? And they're told, no, you have a great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And anybody who knew their Bible would go back to this story because this is where he appears. And they would say, ah, look what Melchizedek did for Abram, our forefather. With, with temptation looming, and here's the offer that is going to come from the king of Sodom. It's an offer of goods. Notice, here's what it says. The king of Sodom 21 said to Abram, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Now, Abram has every right to take the spoils of war. After all, he's the victor. He won the battle. He took the risk. He won everything back. Why should he give it back? He's won all this stuff from Sodom, probably taking it back with uh, you know, animals and carts, and he's got all these riches now. Why would he ever return it? He's the one that risked everything. He had the trained fighters. He rescued Lot. He's the one that helped the king of Sodom. And he, the offer's on the table. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the goods. You just give me the people. But when Melchizedek blessed Abram in verse 19, and then in verse 20, he, blessed, he said, blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. You see, Melchizedek reminds Abram that the battle and the victory is the Lord's. And he, Abram, what did he do? He gave, verse 20, he gave him a tenth of all. Do you hear, did Melchizedek ask for a tenth? Did he say, uh, before we do this blessing thing, I just want to make it clear, you need to be a tither. You don't get blessings without tithing. Have you heard this before? So you got to be a tither, and then I'll bless you. Just write your check now. Once we have that all settled, uh, I'd prefer a cashier's check if that's uh, okay with you. Make sure the fund's clear, and then, then we'll give you the blessing. No, 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 no. Abram gave, not because he, there's no law yet, there's no teaching on the tithe that comes later in the Bible. There's no Mosaic law. Moses isn't even born yet. No tithe. And yet, what does Abram do? Instead of buying into the king of Sodom's pitch, he gives instead of receiving. And Jesus said, it is more blessed to what? To give than to receive. You see, this is a key moment in the, in the forefather of our faith. We're all, by the way, in Abram because he's the father of those who are in the faith, Galatians 3. And we're supposed to follow in Abram's footsteps, which is what Romans 4 teaches. And all of a sudden, in this key moment, do you see why we read the Old Testament? We need to know we have a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's alive. He lives right now. He has a ministry to us right now. And when the king of Sodom comes knocking, even after you've been on a high mountaintop experience, the king of Salem, the king of peace, the king of righteousness, is willing to help you if you will tap into his resources. And I will tell you, brothers and sisters, there's been times when I've done that well and times when I've fallen on my face. There's been times when I've known all the theological truth that you need to know about these subjects, but that doesn't mean I didn't open the door to the king of Sodom. I'd like to tell you that every time I heard him knocking, I said, I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, but I haven't done that every time. Sometimes I've opened the door a little crack. Let's hear your pitch. Go ahead. Tell me. Yeah, slip the brochure through the door. Let's, let's hear about it. But when you learn that the king of Salem 
your Melchizedek, in quotes, if you will, is ready to bring bread and wine and give you sustenance and cut off the devil's work at the pass. Then you all of a sudden say, I don't, I don't give to be in the covenant. Look, the new covenant is, to be in the new covenant is not about tithing. Uh, I think we should consider a tithe, but not because we're forced to, but because we want to. Because we want to give because we've been so blessed. Because I want to give my first fruits to God. It's, it's the natural overflow of a heart in love with God. Just like evangelism, just like prayer, just like reading your Bible, they're all signs that you love God. And that you want to do things in response to his goodness in your life. Salem means peace, Melchizedek, king of righteousness. And together, righteousness and peace meet at the person of Jesus Christ. They kiss together at the person of Christ. Write this down. Ephesians 2.14 says, Jesus himself is our peace. And 1 John 2.1 says, calls Jesus Christ the righteous. I love that. Jesus the righteous. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen? He's there for us. He knows what we go through. He knows when we have victories and we're a little bit more vulnerable. He knows when we're feeling weak and poured out. And all of a sudden, Melchizedek shows up, a type, a foreshadowing of Christ. And the king of Sodom makes his pitch to Abram. He says, give the people to me. Take the goods for yourself. 22, and Abram, Genesis 14, 22, said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. The same description that Melchizedek gave of God, Abram gives the same. He's El Elyon. He made heaven and earth. He possesses everything. Salem or Sodom, which is, which is it going to be? Abram had already made up his mind. Brothers and sisters, if you want to be more effective in the battle with your flesh, the world, lust, and the devil, you have to make up your mind ahead of time. Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's delicacies. Daniel 1, I think it's verse 8. He'd already resolved. He'd already made up his mind. And he's probably a teenager who was raised in the law, and he's taken captive to Babylon, and the king puts the stuff before them, and they're, they're going to try to convert them, and they're changing their names, and they want them to embrace all that is Babylonian. And Daniel says, nope, I will not defile myself. Give me vegetables and water. Let's see who looks better after 10 days. You guys know the story. You have to make up your mind. And somewhere along the line, maybe on the journey back, maybe God spoke to him, I don't know. But God said something like this, do not take a dime from that man. Temptation's coming. You're gonna, you're gonna get, someone's gonna come before you and they're gonna make a pitch and they're gonna say, this looks good. It looks great. You should do this. And God says, when that comes, don't you take a dime from him. Don't do it. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've sworn, I made a covenant. This is heavy. So the Lord God, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, uh, Aner, Eshkol, Mamre, if they want some of the stuff, let them take their share is the idea. But... Me, I'm not taking anything that's yours because all glory belongs to the Lord. This is the most powerful and poignant scene that is before us. Abram's just won the battle. 
He's got a decision between Sodom and Salem, and he passes the test. Did he need more stuff? No. Did he, did he have to try to justify it in his mind? We, we do this, right? Well, it's a little shortcut. It's a little compromise of my values, but be really nice if we could add this to our portfolio. And there's a voice saying, don't do it. In this world, we're going to have all these voices come in at us. and just It's just a little compromise. You'll be fine. You can, you can do that. You can, you can work for them. You can cut corners. You can, you can lie. I mean, after all, you're saved by grace. <laughs> you ever done that before? Lord, I know you're going to forgive me for what I'm about to do. Oops. Paul says, don't use grace as an excuse for sin. He had this good feeling. He was confident. He had the right. He had won the battle. It was his, after all. Sodom represents the world, all that's wrong with it. It's the direction that Lot chose to go, and look where Lot ended up, in captivity, almost dead. And it was because of Uncle Abram that Lot was saved. Do you have a lot in your life? My lot in life is fill in the blank. Always saving that guy. Sick of it. Don't know if I'm coming to his rescue again. I understand. And here's Melchizedek bearing bread and wine. Two things that represent the new covenant and the ultimate priest king, Jesus. He, through Melchizedek, is interceding for Abram and his current ministry is to intercede for you. In fact, the Bible teaches that day and night, the king of Sodom, in quotes, accuses you before the father. You know that? Revelation 12, I think it's verse 10, says the accuser of the brethren accuses you day and night before the throne. But you have an advocate, a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, whoever lives to intercede for you. This is the beauty of the new covenant. And this prepares us for the unconditional covenant in Genesis 15 when Abram will be, will be uh, that man that's saved by God's grace. And you can read more on this in uh, Hebrews chapter 7 about mysterious Melchizedek. That message, by the way, is up on the website if you want to know more. But let's just, we're going to lead into a time of communion right now. And I thought it was really appropriate that we come to the table of the Lord tonight. We think about the elements of bread and wine. They are, they are simply symbols of a new covenant that's already been paid for. The matzah represents the uh, unblemished lamb. He was without sin. The juice represents his blood shed for the remission of the sins of many, for our sins. And if you know him tonight, when you come to the table, just grateful. Amen? Grateful that he's blessed us so much. Grateful that he, he intercedes for us before the Father. Grateful that his intercession took him to a cross and a resurrection. And right now, you and I can commune with him and find our strength for the rest of the week ahead and the things that we face seemingly every hour of every day. He's there for you. I don't remember who it was, but way back in the day, uh, someone was supposed to appear before a queen and she was like, you know, he, his life was in jeopardy. And they said, are you afraid to appear before this queen? And he said, why would I be afraid to appear before a queen? I just spent four hours with the king of the universe. I'm not afraid of her. And I think when we spend more time with our Melchizedek, in quotes, our 
king of righteousness and king of peace. We'll have more peace, more joy. We'll know he is our righteousness. We're saved by grace. He's imputed his righteousness to us. We'll have joy and life and peace. Father, thank you for the folks that are here tonight. As we come to your table now, may you bless this time of communion around bread and wine. May we remember all, Jesus, that you have done and do for us now. May we be true worshipers like Abram. May we set up our altars and remember how good our God is. And may that help us to resist the temptations that do come our way. Make us stronger as your people. Now, we all make bad decisions a few times in our life. A few um, times, Oscar? Uh, well, <laughs> some of us. <laughs> but my question is that if, could that also equate that God can use that? Or, like you said, we have a partial obedience and God still used that. Well, if you look at the New Testament commentary on Abram, or later called Abraham, he is held up as a man of faith in Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith in Romans 4, and we're told to follow in his footsteps. So it is also encouraging Oscar to know that Abram or Abraham was not perfect, right? He, he had his foibles, he made his errors, but he was a good man with an intention to follow God. And I think that should give all of us hope that um, God doesn't really, you know, his uh, mistakes are not hammered on in the New Testament. He's just celebrated as a great man of faith. And I think that's the overarching theme of his life. And so I think that's where we'd want to leave it. And But that gives us hope that if we're the same, it's not about you know our perfection. We're never going to be perfect. But if we're trying to pursue and follow the Lord, I think he's going to honor that. We question God. We hold back. Abram is, is human. He went through this, and we all do the same thing. And Oscar, if you think about what he did to going to a land that God would show him, he had to convince his wife you know, to leave their home, everything that they knew, and go to a land that God would show them. So he didn't really even have the information. He was just truly on a journey of faith. And the Christian life is a walk by faith and not by sight. So this carries over to our walks in the modern day. For the listener, for us sitting at this table right now, Abram is a great example of, you know what? He did do something radical. He took a huge step of faith, took family members along with him that he probably shouldn't have. But in the end, God celebrates his faith. And I think that is a great message and a great hope for us, Oscar. We're just here talking at the table after a message, maybe like you would ponder a teaching that you just heard. And I think it's always good to do a little reflection after you hear a message and ask yourself, what do I want to do with this message? What do I want to take away? When Oscar and I sit at these microphones, that's really what we're praying that God will use is something that is a great application point that will help you in your life in walking with Jesus Christ. Oscar, can you let the folks know how they can reach out to us if they want more? They can reach out to us at livingtruthradio.org and you will have all the information in there if you want to call or you can contact us via email. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.